How many of you are excited to be in church this morning? Mm. It's, it's a privilege to stand before you every Sunday to bring you God's word. Um, there, are, there are some faces I haven't seen in a while in church today. There's someone, the last time I saw her, she was one, but now she's double. Amen. 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 So in the past um, few weeks, um, uh, we've been going through the gathering, right? The gathered people. And uh, we said in the part one, no, in the part two, that as royal priesthood, we have been called to offer certain sacrifices to God, right? And uh, sometimes as Christians, we, we like the jargon. That, oh, we are a chosen generation, we are a royal priesthood. But the term royal priesthood comes with certain responsibilities. And uh, we've been looking at those responsibilities in this series. We said, first of all, the first sacrifice we are called to offer is the sacrifice of self. We've been called to offer ourselves. The second sacrifice we've been called to offer is the sacrifice of song. And we looked at that two weeks ago. And last week we looked at the sacrifice of service. We titled our message, Guarded for Good Works. And we said that God has called us to do good works. Your good works do not save you. But once you are saved, you have been prepared to do good works. Not only have you been prepared to do good works, God has called you so that you will be zealous for good works. That means you must be energetic, passionate about doing those good works. Because those good works give glory to God our Father. And we looked at the fact that there's... Uh, the broad category of the good works, number one, is, is when we live an honorable, moral, upright life. As a believer, you are not called to live anyhow. You can't do anything that pleases you. Because when they lift up accusation against you, according to First Peter 2, when they look at your honorable conduct, they should be able to still give glory to God. And we said also that the second category of the good works is the good works that we do to our neighbors, the, the philanthropic works, the altruistic works that we do to people, we do for people. And that we are not just called to just come and do anything at all. The world does good works for their own benefit. People start up charities and organizations just so that they can escape taxes. But that is not what we have been called to do. We are called to do good works. And the Bible said that we should not be weary in well-doing because sometimes it can be difficult. The people you are doing good to will turn up they are back against you. They, uh, David says in the book of Psalms, my own friend with whom I once ate has lifted up his hand against me. And sometimes that is how uh, the, the people pay us back. But scripture tells us, do not grow weary in doing good. For in due season you will receive a reward if you faint not. Today I am speaking on what I have titled, The Gathering That Gives. The Gathering That Gives. This is part five in our series. The Gathering that gives. Whenever the subject of giving comes up, let me first of all issue a disclaimer. Anything you hear from my mouth is backed by scripture. <laughs> if, it, if it pricks you in a certain way, we take it up with God. Hallelujah. Whenever the topic of giving comes up, there's a lot of eyebrows and skepticism that follows it. And this is for various reasons. The first Reason is that money is hard to come by. And because money is hard to come by, it is difficult to part with. Right? So even as a pastor, when I'm talking about these things, I understand. So don't, don't think that pastor can't relate. I understand. 
when we wake up early in the morning to go to the office, I wake up too to go to the office. So we understand. It is hard to come by and it is hard to part with. The second reason for the pushback is that money is an idol for many. Money is an idol for many. Some people, their whole life is defined. You see, an idol is what, your idol is what defines you. Their whole life is defined by money. So, if you touch the subject of money, they will push back at you. Because whenever you attack people's idols, they fight back. If you read through the book of Acts, wherever Paul went to preach and he faced the biggest uh, uproar, it was because he touched an idol of money. When he went to uh, Ephesus and he preached and the, 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 the people that make the, the goddess Diana's images, because it was touching their money, that was when they lifted up their, their accusations against Paul. So when it comes to money, I understand. And another reason, unfortunately, is sometimes the, the activities of the clergy, people that stand in my position as pastor. Because there are some people who have used their position to abuse their members and abuse the little that people are able to gather for God's work. So it also makes people skeptical. I'm, I'm trying to let you know that whatever we are going to talk about today, I understand where you are coming from. The last thing you should know about the pushback that follows given in God's kingdom is that it is part of a coordinated strategic attack by the devil to make sure the church is limited in its effectiveness. Because once he can get you not to serve God with your money too, that means you are not serving God with your all. It is not a complete sacrifice. In the book of Exodus, when God was liberating the children of Israel out of Egypt, there, there was a strategic negotiation that occurred between Moses and Pharaoh. I don't have time to read the entire negotiation, but it starts from Exodus chapter 5, and the negotiation ends in, around Exodus chapter 10. And God is saying, let my people go so that they may serve me. Pharaoh starts by saying that, I will not let the people go. Then God strikes him now, first one. You know, what we call the ten plagues, in the actual Hebrew, they are not plagues. In the actual Hebrew, it is ten strikes. We call it plagues because some of the uh, strikes that God gave them became sicknesses. So it has become an overall term to describe all of them. But it was not necessarily plagues. It was ten, in the Hebrew, it's funny, it is ten lashes. Ten lashes that God was giving the nation. And after every lash, there was a different strategic negotiation that Pharaoh would make. So Pharaoh said, I will not let the people go. Then God lashed him one. Then he says, okay, you, you can serve God, but serve him in the land. Don't go out. And that is one of the strategies the enemy does. You can serve God, but don't be distinct. Don't separate yourself from the world. Don't go out. Serve God amongst us. Look like us and try to serve your God. Because he knows that with time, you will conform again. But Moses said, no, we will not fall for this trap. We will go out. We want to go three days journey. Remove, far removed from you to serve our God. Then he says, okay, I will not let your people go. God lashes him again. Then, now he says, okay, 
You can go and serve him, but only the men should go. The women and the children should stay behind. You see, when the devil wants to keep a generation away from God, he traps the reproductive part of the nation and he traps the next generation to keep you from serving God. But Moses said, no, we will go with our women and we will go with our children. Because the next generation must see what it takes, looks like to serve God. That is why as believers, our children must follow us to church. They must see what it looks like to serve God. We must prepare them for when it is their turn for the baton to be handed over to them. Hallelujah. Then the last one, Moses said, okay, you people can go, but leave your cattle and your animals behind, your substance and everything behind. So you see how progressive the, the strategy is. That you can go, don't take your cattle, don't take your, don't take your money. Just go. And look at how Moses answered. Moses says in Exodus chapter 10, verse 25, he says, but Moses said, we must also give sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know what we must serve our Lord with when we arrive there. So so everything of ours must go. Every substance, not a hoof, will be left behind. Because when we go, we don't know whether God will require of us goat or cow. Sheep or or, uh, donkey. We will take everything we have. So you cannot say that you are leaving your money because you don't know when God will ask you for that. Hallelujah. Part of our service to God is that we serve God with our substance. When God eventually brought them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the uh, nation of the the, the wilderness and they were uh, moving across, the first thing that God did was to ask them for an offering to build him a house. When Sidney was leading prayer, I was laughing because he was preaching my message. (laughs) In Exodus chapter 25, from verse 1 to 8, it says, Then the Lord God spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering. So when people say, uh, offering must always be free will, yes, offering must always be free will, but there are times where God will demand an offering. And whilst he has demanded it, you must give it also freely. He says, from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. Look at the word that God is using. It's not yours. So they left Egypt with substance. God gave them substance to live with. But when God was taking it from them, he said, it is my offering. (laughs) He says, and this is the offering you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue and purple scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skin, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell amongst them. God took the offering from them so that they can build him a house where he will dwell amongst them. When we ask for for you to serve God with your substance. It is so that we can build God a proper sanctuary where God can dwell amongst us. And if you read the eventual account of when they gave, in Exodus chapter 36, from 6 to 7, 
Bible says, so Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And let the people, and the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work. Indeed, it was too much. The people gave that Moses had to beg them to stop. Now we have to beg people to give. But Moses had to beg them. I'm laying a foundation, Old Testament to New Testament forgiven. Before I start preaching my message, we are, we are laying introduction. In fact, whenever God gathers a people, one of the requirements that God expects is that his people always come to him with something to give him. And that is why God also always provides for his people. It's a two-way street. God always provides for his people because he expects his people to have something to give him. That is why when they were leaving Egypt, God told them, you will not leave empty handed. The night before the Passover, he told them to go to every Egyptian home. Ask them whatever you, you want. I will cause them to give it to you. And the moment they came to the wilderness, God says, okay, now I'm going to have come to take my portion. Build me a house. Are we together? In Deuteronomy 16, 16, God is given a principle that is universal and eternal in its um, effect. The children of Israel had seven major feasts. If you count the Sabbath included, they had seven major feasts. Three of those feasts were the big feasts and they were the pilgrimage feasts. It means that at, that, at those particular feasts, all the males are expected to go and gather where the temple is to present an offering. Those feasts were the feast of the unleavened bread, which is the day after the Passover. That's when the feast of unleavened bread happens. Then the next feast is the feast of, um, uh, the next major feast is the feast of the first fruit, or the feast of weeks. Yes, the feast of weeks, which is 49 days after so you count seven weeks, and the day after the seventh week is Pentecost, 50 days, right? And it's funny that Christ fulfills all of those things. Christ is the Passover. We, the church, are currently living in the period of the unleavened bread, according to uh, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. That is the, the time frame that we are living in. Then Christ, after the, the seven weeks of the Passover, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. So we are living in the time of the Holy Spirit as well. And the feast of the, of the of tabernacles, which was also to remind them of their sojourning in the, uh, the land of uh, the wilderness. The, the period that they were sojourning in the wilderness, they are supposed to celebrate it in the feast of tabernacles. right? And we are also pilgrims in this land waiting for the actual day. So all these three feasts relate to us. And for all these three feasts, God told the nation of Israel that when they appear before me, he says that they should not appear before me empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord which he has given you. It means that God knows that he has given you something. In those, in the whole year, God knows he has given you something. So when you appear before him, he doesn't expect you to come empty-handed. Sometimes people don't give because they feel like in giving they will become vulnerable. The funny thing is, when you think about it, in these feasts, 
all the males had gathered. That means this was the time where the nation was the most vulnerable. There was no one to protect the, the people. All the males had gathered before God. But you can read throughout the history of Israel. No one dared to attack them during this period. Because at this time, God was the watchman. Do you know the principle? When you are gathered to give to God, God will not make you vulnerable. Your giving will not make you vulnerable to, to the enemy. Amen. In the New Testament, someone will say, Pastor, all these things you are saying is Old Testament. We want New Testament proof so that we can give. Well, we'll, we'll show you. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44 to 46, the Bible says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possession and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continually daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. He said that they sold their possession, they did business. And when they gathered the money, they brought it to the church so that even those who had need could be taken care of. Acts chapter 4, 33 to 37. Bible says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of those things which were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to everyone who had need. And Joseph, whose, also, whose name was also Barnabas, by the apostles, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The apostles' feet here is a figurative language. It just means they brought it to the church. They brought it to the leaders so that they'll be able to uh, share and administer it. So we see, in both Old and New Testament, when God gathers a people... Part of what they do together is that they are gathering that gifts. But how does our giving translate to our sacrifice as royal priesthood? In Philippians chapter 4, 15 to 18, I read. Now you Philippians also know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia... No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gifts, but that I seek fruits to abound to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things which you sent, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. On Paul's second missionary journey, they wanted to find out where they were supposed to go. And Paul had a dream, and in the dream or a vision of the night, there was a man from Macedonia that beckoned them to come and preach the gospel to them in Macedonia. So when Paul went to Macedonia, he went to three cities in Macedonia. He went to Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, then he went to Berea. And he founded a church in each of these three cities. So there was a church founded in Berea, 
There was a church founded in Thessalonica and there was a church founded in Philippi. And Paul is saying that when he came to the region of Macedonia, none of the churches communicated with him concerning giving and receiving, but the church in Philippi. That means it was the church in Philippi that supported him. They took care of his needs. And Paul is saying that I have all, I am full, and I abound. Not because of anything, but because you sent Epaphroditus to come with your offering and come and support me. Some people say that we don't give because the pastors who chop the money, they will live on the money. They would spend the money and take care of themselves with the money. Look at what Paul said. He says, I am full. I, I abound. I lack nothing because you gave. That means part of the offering is actually supposed to take care of the leaders of the church. It's supposed to take care of them. Say, but that means we are giving to men. But Paul says, even though you gave to me, your offering went to God as a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. When we give, you see, when you give, the moment you send your money e-transfer to our offering, or you put your money in the envelope and it enters, you didn't give to me. You didn't just give to the church. You gave to God. Your offering went to God. And Paul says in Philippians 4.19, he says, because you have done this, and my God shall supply all your needs, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You see, when we quote Philippians 4.19, we quote it as a scripture of God's provision, of God's divine providence. But there was something people did first. They gave to God. I want you to, first of all, change your mindset on how you give. When you come to church, you are not giving to just anybody. You are bringing your offering, your sacrifice to God. That is also not an excuse for pastors to live lavishly on the little that the church has. Right? When Paul says, I am full, I abound, I lack nothing, he is not talking about riding private jets and living in luxurious mansions. If you read the context, it is between being hungry and being okay. So when he says, I am full, that means I am not hungry. <laughs> are we together? So we are not, this is not a case for people to uh, misuse and misappropriate church funds. That is not what we are talking about here. Sometimes I find that in my preaching I have to correct a lot of things. Because even though I'm your pastor and I'm a teacher, um, my grace is kind of apostolic in nature. So I like to speak to the church globally. Right. There, there, there is there's some abuse that goes on, but that is not why we, are, we gather the funds. Because part of the funds is not only to support the, 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 the man of God, it is to support the work itself and to support those who are in need in the church. Because there are people who need help. When Paul was writing to Timothy, he says, support the widows who are widows indeed. We are supposed to help the poor. Some of you right now, one of my... my, my dreams 
And I expect you guys to, to give so that we can do it. One of my dreams, I want to get some um, uh, buildings, some houses, so that we can house some people who are in need. We can, if somebody comes and, and we, we should be able to provide scholarships for those who, who want to do a program and are struggling in a certain way. But how we need it because you have to give, give. Bring your offering, bring your sacrifices. Hallelujah. Somebody would say, if we give, then God will bless us. Right? So, because I want God to bless me, let me give. If that is how your mind is thinking, you have a problem. And I know there are Christians like that. Some people calculate, okay, um, I want this amount. So, let me take this amount and go and sow seed. So that God, you see, you have turned God into gambling. Right? You've turned the offering basket into a roulette table. We give first and foremost because we love God. Are we together? The main motivation for our giving is that we love God. Jesus said in Matthew 6 21, For where your treasure is, that is where your heart is also. So you, you hear, you see, when you've done this work for a while, you hear what people say. You say, and I gave to God, I've given to God, I sold, I sold, I sold, and I didn't get anything. It means that you weren't giving because you loved God. Where is your heart in all of these things? We must give to God first and foremost because he is the utmost being of our love. He is the focus of our love. Everything we do in our heart beats for God. So when we get money, we look at the money and like, what can I do for my God? Like David said, he says, how am I dwelling in a palace built with such glorious stones and my God's temple is still built with tents? So the Bible says, he says, I gathered with all my might gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver. It was even God that told David that, David, because your hands have shed blood, don't build me the temple. And God said, God, you said I shouldn't build. But you didn't say I shouldn't provide. So he provided everything that was needed. When Solomon came and Solomon built the temple, Solomon did not go and buy anything new. Everything Solomon used to build the temple, David had already provided. And we should get to a time where when we want to do a project, we are not coming to take special offering. When we want to do a project, because we love God and we are giving to God, we have enough to do those projects. Are we together? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, when Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to give for the work of the ministry, he uses the church in Philippi as the standard for giving. Because what they gave was a sacrifice acceptable to God it was well-pleasing and a sweet aroma. So if anything at all, we have something to learn from that church. So that when we bring our sacrifice of our substance, it will not be a sacrifice that God does not accept. So what can we learn from the church in Philippi? Second Corinthians chapter 8, I read from verse 1 to 7. I hope you have been blessed. It says, moreover, brethren, 
we make known to you the church bestow the grace bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. When he says churches of Macedonia, he is actually referring to the church in Philippi. Because we have read that when he came to Macedonia, all the, only one church supported him concerning giving and receiving. So he's using Macedonia in the broad context, but the specific church here is the church of Philippi. That's in, look at what he says. I want you to make known to you the grace that God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or their generosity. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us, with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Not only as, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you. But as you are bound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you are bound in this grace also. So he says, as a church, as you are growing in love, which is good, as you are growing in wisdom, which is good, as you are growing in faith, which is good, as you are growing in knowledge, which is good, he says, I want you to abound in this grace also. And that grace is the grace of giving. He says, you must abound in your giving also. How did the church in Philippi give? Number one, they gave willingly and freely. They did not give out of compulsion or coercion. They gave because they loved God and they wanted to support his cause. One of the things that I told you at the beginning of this church when we started is that I will never twist scripture to take offering from you. Because if I do that, you will give out of compulsion. You will give out of coercion. And when you give, it doesn't honor God. Even when God demanded an offering in Exodus from the children of Israel, even though God demanded, he says, let every man give freely as he is willing. The sacrifice that pleases God is always one that comes freely from the heart. Sometimes you see... People are twisting the scriptures. Pastors are sweating. They are, they are, they are, they are using all kinds of terms so that the people would give. Sometimes you see the members, you guys, sometimes you make it difficult for the pastors. <laughs> but, but all the same, it is not an excuse to abuse the word of God. My conviction is what the word cannot do in your heart, my words cannot do. If the word of God cannot convict you to give, it is not my twisting of words, not using psychology on you, that will cause you to love God. Because giving is a love thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is a love-motivated thing. When, when, when uh, I was dating my wife, when I, I used to get her gift, it, nobody will coerce me. Nobody has to encourage me to give gifts. The smile on her face alone when a gift comes satisfies me. The, 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 the joy that you would give to God 
alone should satisfy you. That, that we are in a church where everybody's needs are able to be met. That we don't have to cry to pay our rent, do any kind of thing. That alone should bring you joy that you have contributed to this cause. Second Corinthians chapter 9 from 6 to 7. Paul says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully would reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. When you are giving to God, it must be with joy. If, if you, you will give the money and a tear will come from your eye and you will go home and you will grumble and, 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 and pastor likes that and pastor is like, don't give. We are better off without your money. We don't like it because God will reject it. If you put it in, we will use it, but we don't like it. Are we together? Because, you see, the ultimate is not what we do with the money here on earth. The ultimate is, did it please God? The second thing we learn from them is that their circumstances did not determine their giving. For some of us, we don't give to God and we use the excuse that we don't have enough. Oh, pastor, I'm in a tough season. Things are hard, you know. You know, inflation has hit Canada and everything is expensive. Right now, groceries are expensive. We all know that. But you see, it's interesting, though. The people who say that things are hard and times are hard, you see them with new hair. You see them with fresh makeup. New shoes. Those who like cars, you see them, they have invested in a new car. But when it comes to God, hey, things are hard. See, let, let that not be your lifestyle. You, you, cannot be, you cannot be doing new hair, $200, and you can't even give God a $10 offering. Hallelujah. I told you at the beginning, I issued a disclaimer. If it touches you, you take it up with the word. Are we together? Some of you say, and, pa- and this pastor, they like taking the money. The tithe is too much. Tithe is even Old Testament. We don't want to pay. But you go and buy new clothes. You let a, uh, Zara send you notification in your email. Or H&M sent you an email. Flash sale. Quickly, you are online. Some of you, the stores that are mentioned, Christ, cheap for you, Aritzia and, and, and things. That's where you shop. You can spend money on all of those things. You will not bat an eyelid. But the moment we say, let us give to God, you have all the reasons why you cannot give. Look at what Paul says about the church. He says, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and even beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the administration to the saints. In their deep poverty, not when they had. Some of you are saying that, oh, we are, we are praying. When we have money, then we become kingdom financiers. There is nothing like that. I've told you in this church that that term, we don't, we don't use it. All of us have been called to finance this work. 
people can give in their deep poverty. Not only did they even give in their deep poverty, they were begging the apostles, please take our offering. We want to also contribute so that when there is a memorial in heaven, at least we, the church in Philippi, we contributed to this work. They were begging, begging, please take our offering, please take our offering, take our tithes, take our first fruits, take something from us. I'm sure Paul was shy because even, you see, there are poor people and there are poor people that poor people call poor. Are we together? And Paul says that these people, in the midst of their deep poverty, that means it was very serious. But he says, in the midst of their deep poverty, their generosity was even more abounding. See, let me tell you one truth. If you can't give to God when you have nothing, you won't give to God when you have much. If you have a hundred dollars and you can't give God ten dollars out of your hundred dollars it's not when you have a million dollars that you can give a hundred thousand you have not built the muscle to give you have not developed yourself to give to god when when you are giving the money when you are counting the, the zeros on the check every zero you add you insult the pastor every zero you add then you insult the pastor no and like pastor if i give you this offering you have to put me on church board I have to investigate and see where the money is going to. <clears throat> the Bible says, in the midst of their deep poverty, they still gave to God. You don't have to have everything, even if it is one dollar. And it is what you can give God. Give it cheerfully. Give it happily. That is your sacrifice to God. It is a sweet-smelling, savor, acceptable offering before the Lord. The last thing we learned from them is that they gave themselves to God first. They gave their lives to God first. Hallelujah. The Bible says that not only as we expected, but even beyond our expectation, they first gave themselves to God and then to us. What that means is that you can't live anyhow. And can't put money before God and try to bribe God. There are some people who do that. They live anyhow. They go and steal money. Collect bribes. Sleep with someone's husband. Sponsored by a sugar daddy. All of these things. And they come and put their money in the offering basket. Because well, after all, that is what the pastors they want. They want their money. Paul says that no. Be- before you get it twisted. These people, they surpassed our expectations. They first gave themselves to God. They were people who were sold out to God. They were committed to the things of God. They loved God. You can't go and steal money and come and put it in the basket. No, that is not what we are asking for. We don't want it. You can't go against God's way to get money and think that you can use that money to buy God. We don't want it. Are we together? He says they first gave themselves to God. And that, that is how I want this church to be. We are people who are first and foremost sold out to God. We will not compromise the standards of God so that we can get money. And that is why I have a problem with 
that um, uh, kingdom financier tag. Because most of the people that are usually tagged that way, when you look at their business practices and you look at the things that they do together, it's questionable. And if you are doing questionable things to get money, you can't say that you are coming to finance God's work with that. No. That is why God always asks his people, not anybody else or his people, to build him a house. Because he is dedicated to provide for you. And when they give like this, when you give like that, the promise of God stands sure. The promise of God stands sure. Philippians 4.19. Paul says, and I have all. I am full and I abound because I have received from you the offering that you gave a prophetess, an acceptable sacrifice, a sweet-smelling aroma, a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. He says, and my God shall supply all your needs. You see, sometimes we don't give because we feel like our giving will make us vulnerable. Uh, if, if I give God this more that I have, what if another bill crops up next week? What, what, how will I be able to sort that bill? It means that you have not come to the place where you trust that, and my God shall supply all my needs. And my God. See, I have come to a place in my life, personally, where it doesn't matter what I don't have. The little that I have, something must go to God. Because I know where I am today, it is not because of hard work. Sometimes, I don't know if you've done it before, if you calculate the things you've eaten, the money you spent in a month, and you look at your paycheck, it's like it's more than your paycheck. How were you able to do that? And my God shall supply all your needs. So, you see, we don't look at those things. We look at God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, not that we are sufficient in and of ourselves, but our, our sufficiency is from God. He is the God who is able to make all things sufficient for you. So, as part of our sacrifice as a royal priesthood, I came to call you to the sacrifice of giving. If you have been neglecting this portion of your work, repent. Repent. God is waiting for your sacrifice. The church needs your sacrifice. You see, there are, there are things that we need to do as a church. There are so many projects that we want to embark on. But sometimes we are just limited in our ability. And the devil knows that. That sometimes money can limit us. But when we decide to give, it's not because we have, it's because we know that the work is important. You see, when Paul was taking this offering, he was going to help the church in um, Jerusalem because there was famine that had hit the church in Jerusalem and he was taking an offering to go and support them. The people in Philippi knew that they could not go. The journeys that Paul was making to preach the gospel, they could not do that. But we, at least we can make Paul comfortable in the work. We can give to go and support the work that is going on in Jerusalem. We can do the things that we need to do to make sure that everyone that needs to be supported is supported. And that is why we must give to the house of God. So from today, I want us to all do some introspection. Let us look in our hearts. Don't say that I am broke, I can't give. If you can buy coffee, you can give. 
If you can, if you can buy Chinese takeout, you can give. If you can order Domino's, you can give. Uh, if you can, if you can do your hair, new hairstyle, every month you can give. Some of you month cries too long. It's every two weeks. If you can do your nails in this country, you can give. Some of you, every three weeks, it's like the water has eroded my nails. I need to, I need to touch up um, acrylics, gel. Then you go. The, the Chinese people, too, they are very good nowadays. If they don't charge you, they'll charge you about um, $120. Or... Once you can do that, you can give. Hallelujah. And there's a lot we can do to, for the Lord in this house. Amen. Let's rise to our feet and pray. Your name is to be hallowed. You see, when you begin to understand your giving as an act of worship, it changes. When you begin to to realize that what I am doing is not something that I'm doing to please man, but it's a sacrifice that I'm offering to God. It changes. That is why when Onan offered his threshing floor free to David to build God a, a memorial and an altar, David said that I will not offer unto God that which costs me nothing. It must come from somewhere deep inside of me. Because this is something that I am offering to God. There are times where you, you, you must give to God and you know that something deep has left you. But you, you count it all as nothing. Because for what God did for you on the cross by offering his son Jesus Christ, nothing can repay God. Just want us to ask God. Paul says that as we are bound in these graces, we should abound in the grace of giving also. Bible tells us that God is able to make all grace abound to us. And we want to pray that Father help us to abound in the grace of giving also. Want to lift up your voice and say, Father, help me to abound in the grace of giving. May I not hold back in giving to your work. May I not hold back in giving to your cause. La madia baraba satas, reba baku andesia tabas alia da branda ba, la baba raba baso tolobos cavalia brandesaya, le braba zida bakos cavalia da branda siatas, lete de bekia pa rosa diata yanamenu asaya. Father, give us grace to abound in this work also. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this reminder that, Father, you have called us to abound in this work also. That as a royal priesthood, part of our sacrifice is the sacrifice of our substance. And Father, we thank you that this gathering will be a gathering that gives to your glory, that gives to your name, that gives to your work. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 You may please be seated.